Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. I thought it'd entertain us with an opening from a recent page one story in the, my favorite, New York Times. Uh, here's what they say. The Supreme Court moved relentlessly to the right in its first full term with a six-justice conservative majority issuing far-reaching decisions that will transform American life. It eliminated the constitutional right to abortion recognized a Second Amendment right to carry guns outside the home, made it harder to address climate change, and expanded the role of religion in public life. But those blockbusters, significant though they are, the Times tells us, only begin to tell the story of the conservative juggernaut the court has become. The Supreme Court that ended Thursday was the most conservative since 1931. Well... <laughs> What's horrible for the New York Times is wonderful news for the vast majority of Americans. Uh, and among the most significant rulings, even if it doesn't capture all the headlines, is the ruling about uh, the EPA, West Virginia versus EPA. Uh, that ruling not only stops environmental extremism in the EPA, uh, but it also could stop major power grabs by bureaucrats and other agencies that have become like a fourth branch of government. Uh, this this so-called administrative state has become an enormous and growing threat to every American's constitutional freedoms. Uh, joined, joining me to talk about this are two experts in this with a group I just love, the nonprofit New Civil Liberties Alliance, founded by Phil Hamburger, uh, and they're following the EPA and all the other administrative rulings uh, uh, and, and legal rulings throughout government, joining, rejoining John Vecchione, uh, great guy, returning guest, uh, litigation, senior litigation counsel, focuses on senior lit, uh, strategic litigation uh, in the federal district and appellate courts, including the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, and Casey Norman, a recent joint staff member at NCLA, who uh, prior to uh, NCLA worked in the private sector as a restructuring and bankruptcy associate at uh, Deckard LLP. And we we're joking before the show, I think her restructuring and bankruptcy skills may come in handy when we think about what's going to happen with our federal government, especially its debt. So anyway, with that gratuitous remark, John, welcome. Casey, welcome. John, why don't you kick it off? Where, what about this ruling? And what about your real personal interest in, in how this well, has evolved? I, you opened up with the New York Times article, right? The New York Times is, oh, it's doom, it's horror, you know. Um, what the, Whenever what, they're unhappy, well, I, I'm happy. But almost everything, <laughs> except for the Second Amendment case, um, in New York Rifle, all they did was say that legislatures should be doing this. For instance, on, um, on the case we're going to discuss, they didn't say this couldn't be done, you couldn't regulate uh, greenhouse gases this way. They said that Congress has to say you can, right? So it's not, it's not gloom and doom. Just have your representatives do it. And um, the same on, on the Dobbs case. They've already, they said, look, if you want whatever the legislatures want to do, we the people go and do that. We're not going to be the referees anymore. And on the Second Amendment, 
There, they said you can't stop people from exercising their Second Amendment rights, but they went out of their way to say you could do background checks. We haven't said anything about what type of weapons you can have. These were all moderate decisions based on representative government. And I do think, though, there is one thing that's bothering them that I think everyone should be very happy about. I started my legal career. I went to Georgetown, so I was in D.C. And um, I went to the Bork hearings when Robert Bork was appointed to by President Reagan to be on the Supreme Court. Uh, Ted Kennedy came to Georgetown, gave a big speech about all the horrible things that were going to happen if Judge Bork got put on the bench. And I was president of the Federal Society then, and I, I wasn't a lawyer, but I wanted to go see it. And in those days, you could go to the Supreme Court and watch the, excuse me, the Senate. You could go to the Senate and watch the hearings, but as you couldn't stay. You got a half hour in your seat, and then you had to go out and go to the back of the line. And I went to the back of the line about three or four times and watched those hearings in person, and I watched them on TV. And all of the borking, all that fight was about what we're talking about now. Why do you write down law? If you write down the laws, don't those words mean something? And can they mean anything? And I think the fight here is over whether or not the administrative state, the agencies with experts, are just going to be able to take broad, unspecific language to change the whole society. So the law they were referring to that Congress sent the EPA had nothing, had nothing in it about uh, what they'd chosen to do to regulate. So, um, I'll well, they found penumbras and emanations. Well, no, I think they it's section 111, Casey. Yeah, uh, 211. 211. So, yeah. th there was a section that said that you could use the best systems, right? right? They're using they're using the best systems, the EPA, in this in this section of the of the um, of of the Clean Air Act. But what the court said was, this was a tiny part of the Clean Air Act. It was anc ancillary to the main focus. Of the Clean Air Act, so what is the court doing here? I mean, what what was EPA trying to do? What EPA was trying to do is instead of saying this power plant is putting off this many CO2 gases, so you have to put this scrubber on that point source. Part of the the what the the Clean Air Act does is say that the states give you a program, and then the EPA kind of approves it, and and then sets certain levels for those point sources. But what the EPA says is, we are going to set the CO2 levels such that the coal plants can no longer operate. All right, they want to put the coal plants out of business completely. Um, and the court said, well, that's a pretty big decision. You, you, you're doing this through Section 211? You can't use a tiny section. Section 211 of the well, Wood Act. Of the Clean Air Act. Clean Air Act, okay. Right. And so this was all done in the 1970s. Yeah. And this, and this is, I, you know, I was just talking about Bork. The 1970s, what, who, who was the, the left-wing maniac president who signed all this legislation? Richard Nixon, right? <laughs> so Nixon signed the EPA, the Clean Air Act. In many ways, EPA. he was as bad as Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, but this was the height of the administrative state, the 70s, for, on, I think, both the court and in the Congress, uh, and, and Kagan points this out. They, they were making big law, she's saying. They, they knew what they were doing. They, they, they were creating the EPA, and they said, these are the problems. We hand them to you forever is kind of how they look at it. And so they, if they can find any little bit of, uh, of a um, word that they can then base this program they want because they want to get rid of coal. And, and they said, if, 
if we want to get rid of natural gas, we can get rid of that too, right? Right. I'm not wrong about that. All renewables. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could switch to all renewables if we want. So, so this really disturbed the court in this case. And West Virginia versus Environmental Protection Agency is big because they've actually taken from a, a course of law, a, a bunch of law that they've been forming over the last 20 years? About that, yeah. 15, 20 years at least. Although Gorsuch would tell you John Marshall was doing it. And I think there's something to that. There's John Marshall, a first Supreme Court justice. Third, third, third the greatest. Okay. The biggest one, yeah. So he, he, what they're doing here is saying, look, if an administrative agency wants to do something big that affects huge amounts of people, huge parts of the economy, they can't take a small, they got to base it, they got to show us clearly why that is. It's called the major questions doctrine. And we've been calling it the major questions doctrine for some time, meaning we in the profession and the people who scribble about this stuff in the law reviews, they've been saying, this is the major questions doctrine. Um, and, and, but they never used it in a court case before. They never said you know, that. I'd never heard of the major questions doctrine until the last week or two. Could, I mean, you, what, what Casey, is, yeah. Casey, what's the major questions doctrine? So Since this is the big thing that seems to have Basically, I mean, and they, they describe it in this case. I think Gorsuch lays it out pretty clearly. But what it is is when you have a question like this where an executive agency is going to be making decisions and taking on authority that's going to majorly impact the nation in political and economic ways, um, and with, if there is no clear, explicit authorization from Congress in the text of the statute, they cannot do that. And the court should meet that with skepticism, and this law should not you know, it should be rendered un or deemed unconstitutional. So the gist of it is that we're going to delegate to the bureaucrats small things. You can do tweaks and things like that, but you can't change it so that you really change the, the major policy questions, major yeah. questions. And I think not even, not even limiting it to just tweaks, but I think here they're looking at, like, for instance, in this situation, if you allowed the EPA to do what it wants to do here and Basically, they're saying these coal-fired plants have to shut down um, and convert completely into different kinds of factories, whether it's, you know, wind farms or solar or um, fuel, um, you know, other kinds that are not, you know, not the way they're functioning currently. And this costs billions well, of dollars. BlackRock thinks Chev uh, what is it? Chevron can get out of the oil and gas business and go into wind and solar. <laughs> right. So that's kind of thing. I mean, right. it's called uh, magical thinking. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they, and they hadn't explicitly, the court in its majority opinions, I think Hagen points it out, they hadn't explicitly called it this, um, though there are some cases within the last 15, 20 years where it's this same reoccurring issue where an executive agency is just seeing where it's not there in the text of the statute, this immense power and trying to move forward with it through this implied power that they claim is there. So just so everybody understands, there you can find these... Uh, decisions and opinions on on the Supreme Court uh, website and there's one main decision and there's Gorsuch's uh, what, what do we call that His, it's a concurring uh, opinion. concurring opinion and, and then we've got Kagan dissenting and Kagan of course thinks that only Elena Kagan understands uh, how these things should be decided and and, and I will I, I will confess this so I think that steel sharpens steel in the law and that means that you have to have the best against the best to, to hone the arguments. And the one thing about Kagan, when she was at Harvard, she put a, a lot of textualists and constitutionalists on the. The reason Harvard isn't Yale, partly because of her. Quick, explain textualists and constitutionalists. Okay. So 
Kagan says, so a textualist and, a, and, a, and an originalist, I should say, okay, right. is, that, is that the first thing you have is the words of the statute. You don't look at the intent of the legislature out in the air somewhere. They use certain words, so use those. And, and if the meaning of words has changed, the originalist part of it is you use, this is the best type, there's huge disputes about this, but the best type of originalism is you use the common sense of the words as understood by normal people at the time. All right, that's the originalist part. So this is very controversial among certain professors because they want the courts to say what the modern sense of the world is rather than the legislature. And so um, this textualism and originalism was very controversial. When I was in school, Brennan gave a whole speech against the attorney general, Ed Meese, had given an originalist textualist argument. And they, they went back and forth in three very, um, uh, in both law review articles on whether or not this was good or bad. And the originalists and textualists believe it's the only way that democracy can work because if the people can't fix what they want the law is by having their legislatures write it and then those words not changing until they come back again, you don't really have, uh, it's a legitimacy question. You don't really have a, a democracy or representative government. So that's what it, and Kagan understands these arguments. I'm not sure all of the other left-wing judges on certain of the courts really understand them. She understands them, and I think that's why her, her, um, her arguments, the reason Gorsuch writes his concurrence isn't because anything Robert said he didn't agree with. He said it because I got to get back at Kagan because she's, she's caught scoring some points here. So he wrote his after she submitted her dissent? I, I, I believe, I believe the, so. The, the I believe are, so okay. because they're talking. They cross talk yeah. in yeah. them, right? I think they all read each other. Yeah, they, they mention each other. So they're really going at it. And in fact, I, um, if, if I may, I'm just going to put on my glasses for a second because for, for your listeners and your viewers, really, um, this fight about who's the real originalist and who's the textualist uh, Kagan says, I'm the textualist, not you guys, but I, I want to bring up um, Gorsuch says, wait a minute, this isn't brand new. This major questions that Casey was telling us about, we didn't use the word, but if you look at FDA versus Brown and Williamson tobacco, well, that was the case where the um, FDA wanted to get eliminate cigarettes, right? And and I the the Supreme Court said, well, you're allowed to do a lot of things, but they didn't give you the right to eliminate tobacco because they would have said that. That's like kind of a big deal. So, that, but they didn't use the term major questions. And then Gonzalez versus Oregon, Attorney General Gonzalez under Bush wanted to use the, um, the, uh, 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 the, the ability of licensed doctors to, to prescribe drugs to um, criminalize that when Oregon allowed assisted suicide. So they said, so he, he set up a rule that if you used uh, your prescriptions for assisted suicide, it would be violating the, uh, the act that allowed your, your um, license. And they said, no way, you can't do that. That's not what that's for. Uh, and so, um, again, they would have said that in the, in the, in the um, uh, drug laws if that's what they meant. And then utility air regulatory group, the EPA, was another EPA question. They keep going on. Each of these cases, and, and then our favorites, because NCLA did this, we put in amicus briefs in these two cases. That, New Civil Liberties Alliance. Yes. Okay. We put in amicus briefs, and we're very happy. Um, God knows I did tons of CDC uh, litigation. Well, Alabama. Well, 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 you're checking that one. Let me just say, this is Bill Walton's show, and I'm here with uh, John Vecchioni and Casey Norman, NCLA, and we're 
we're wandering deep into the meaning of originalism and, and textualism and, and, and the meaning of words. No, yeah, and so, but because of the COVID emergency, two big cases have come out of the Supreme Court in the last two years. Alabama Association of Realtors v. Department of Health and Human Services and National Federation of Independent Business v. OSHA. And the first one says the CDC knows nothing about whether or not you should um, have evictions in states or not to, to stop COVID. That's not their bailiwick, right? They don't know anything about that. They said you can't do that. And, and they threw out the uh, eviction moratorium. And in uh, the, the NFIB case versus OSHA, they said, look, you you're supposed to regulate health and safety. You can't mandate vaccines well, to every company well, in the how does world. This, how does this, we got to talk about yeah. the, word, the, the term Chevron deference. And there's this, I know enough to be dangerous, uh, but wasn't there a ruling that said that when the Congress passes things, there's a, there's a sense that the agencies are experts and they know what they're doing. And so we're going to defer to their, their expertise. And hadn't that been governing a lot of this for a long time and we think it's bad law but there it is uh, look uh, is that, why don't is you like fair, casey say what chevron yeah. you're making too many faces yeah, yeah for think, people listening I'll, 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 yeah you're in, i think <laughs> what gets forgotten or maybe glossed over by the courts a lot is that there are there are two steps to chevron and the first one is looking at the text and seeing if there's ambiguity and if there is not and this, you can tell what the statute is saying you stop there when was chevron uh, decided. Uh, do you know? Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. It's, so, it's a Scalia opinion. <laughs> they it's all a Scalia are. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All the key cases are. <laughs> but then, if you so, if you go beyond that and you say, okay, there's ambiguity here. We're not really sure what what the words mean. Then it's you're supposed to defer to the agency's interpretation because presumably they're the experts in whatever it's talking about. Um, and it, so long as it's reasonable and not you know absolutely insane and. Um, doesn't fit at all with what the with what the text says, but I mean, in, in in practice, you see courts deferring a lot to the agencies, and maybe even when the text isn't ambiguous. And and, and that in this case, the D.C. Circuit, this was appealed from the D.C. Circuit. Yeah. The D.C. Circuit approved this regulation based on Chevron deference. They said, you know, this uh, section 211, it it kind of gives them something, and it creates an ambiguity, and we think EPA can go ahead and do that. They use Chevron. And the majority doesn't mention Chevron. We were all kind of shocked. I think everyone looking at this was like, are they going to cut back Chevron some more? Uh, Chevron deference? And only Kagan mentioned it. And, and Kagan mentions it. She's yeah. the only one. And she says, this isn't the type of thing. Major, This is not a Chevron case. Um, but but in any event, and, and she's the only one who mentions it. And nobody knows because there's tons of cases where they could have mentioned Chevron this year, which they didn't. So something's going on that's kind of a well, mystery. Let to all me of us. let me get way into the yeah. into the theoretical here. You're you you know you're more recently graduated from you went to Georgetown as well. Yeah. Good law schools. Good law school. But the world's changing, and I'm kind of in a words mean what they mean mode. But with deconstructionism and critical race theory and woke and all these sort of ideas about what things really are. Has, has all that deconstructionism collided with, with what the law schools are teaching now? Um, I mean, I think, I think when I was there, it was before the real storm hit. I graduated in 2019. Yeah. And I didn't see so much of it. I think the, the craziest thing we saw was Trump getting elected, and that obviously stirred up a lot of emotion on both sides. 
Um, but I think I kind of escaped or maybe I turned a blind eye to it and avoided it. Yeah. But it seems as though most recently within the past couple of years, things have really kind of. But, you know, law schools are even now teaching that people, if you've got an unpopular opinion, they don't need to represent you. So yeah. the whole advocacy system, and, and we're wandering way off the EPA. No, but that's here, why I said it, steel sharpens steel. Right. I was discussing with Kate. I never thought I'd get to the law schools because I thought because you had to represent people, you had to know what the other side was. And, and one of the exercises we always had, I think when you went there too, you yeah. had to take the side you didn't like and argue. All the time. I mean, that's part of being a lawyer, I think. You have to be able to see perspectives. That is the way it works. It has to, but yeah. apparently now, maybe not. And, and you look at the big law firms in D.C., they just, the, the fella, um, Consovoy, who argued and won the national... Had, uh, had to resign. Yeah, because they said, well, no, we don't gonna take those, we're not going to take those cases anymore. you got to go. And they had approved him having those. It, it's great. There is, there is a certain um, lack of professionalism in that for the law, I think. But it is a different topic. For this, for West Virginia versus EPA, I think it's an important case because it is saying we are not going to let you do huge things that would have huge political and economic consequences unless Congress has really done it. And the thing that they do here to show that the New York Times is not correct, they said acid rain, right? They had a cap and trade for acid rain. Congress passed the law and said, this acid rain problem is really bad. You EPA can do this, that, and the other thing. And, and Robert says, look, we approve that. We said that was fine. That was part of the law. You're allowed to do it if you've got the right um, legislative action. Well, so go do well, it. Didn't Congress, though, in this case, try to pass something Waxman Markey that uh, would have given a, a, a legislative seal of approval, but it couldn't pass? And and then the Democrats had big majorities at the time. So I think the EPA knows this. You know, they're they're the only people that have had the power to do it. Right. I. I this is a fight, and so that they also have a fight over this. Yeah. So the majority and the and the. Uh, and the dissent have a big fight over this because what do you do when Congress doesn't do anything? Because Congress is not supposed to do anything, right? Under the constitutional system, it's supposed to be slow and it's, and it's supposed to be hard to do. So, so Kagan says, well, wait a minute. You can't use the fact that something failed to, to say what the law was at the time, which is intellectually true, but there's a, there is a Big problem, and I think Gorsuch, does Gorsuch use the pen and the phone here? Or was that another case? Um, he, the pen and the phone's in his opinion. Right, exactly. His concurrence. Right. So he is yeah. directly <clears throat> talking about, well, wait a minute. You guys tried to do this. You didn't do it. And then suddenly the agency pops up and says, uh, we found this part of the law. <laughs> that What they're saying is not that that completely invalidates it. The failure, what they're saying, it, erase, right, it raises judicial suspicion. Yeah. So what does this mean for the other for the rest of the EPA's agenda? I mean, does this you can you now take this and apply this to other things they're doing and say, well, look at this. You shouldn't this other thing. You shouldn't also be doing that. I feel like that was that's a big part of the whole like dooming gloom and all the people saying how radical this was, because I don't know. And I think John touched on this already that. This, this didn't do that much. It didn't shut down the EPA's ability to function. And they point out they're... It's too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, they really, they really just said the, the manner that they went about this and they had an agency. And actually going back a little bit, um, it's, it's kind of useful to know the background on this. Congress had already addressed this issue of carbon dioxide emissions. I think it was during the Obama administration. Um, 
they in the the house passed legislation that was along these lines granting authority to do these kinds of extreme things and the senate did not and i think obama's quoted saying well you know if we're, if we're not going to be able to do it in congress we're going to do it in the executive and and that's actually i think where the cpp or the clean power plan actually came about because they acknowledged congress declined to do this well initially the epa did a lot of good i mean the clean air clean water that really i mean we really have right. made a lot of progress and all that but and, this is just a clear and, case of and, mission creep and here is what this case this does that's important if you have if you come into with an ambitious legislative and and if you want to transform the, the country and you get elected and you don't have majorities in the house and the senate you're not going to be able to implement a vast program new program through the administrative state if West Virginia v. EPA holds up. Because what they said was, you didn't do this for 40 years. For 40 years, you never used it this way. If they had been using it before, if they had showed that this was a, a continuous course of conduct, I think it would have held up. But, right. And so, so what they're saying is you can't do something brand new through the administrative agencies. When you want to do something brand new, go to Congress. And I think I was pointing out that, in point of fact, the Clean Power Act, uh, the Clean Power Regulation, Clean Power Plan here, this regulation, never went into effect. And Kagan complains about that. The, the Supreme Court said, we're staying this act until it gets up to mm -hmm. this regulation until it gets up to us. Never went into effect. Trump gets in. His administration withdrew it, saying, this is a major question, and it's not in the statute. So the, the EPA said that at that time under that group, right. uh, under, under that administration. Then Biden got in, and they didn't reinstall it. They said, you know, we're working on it. it. It doesn't exist right now, so why are you taking this case? And I think it's Kagan's strongest point, and she's really using it against Roberts, because Roberts is always saying how he's a judicial minimal, minimalist, and he always calls balls and strikes. But he took this case even though the regulation had been withdrawn. He didn't wait for the next regulation. So I do think that the question here is, if you have an ambitious plan and there's not a clear basis of it in the law, you got to get Congress well, to go along. Well, what about how this affects, I mean, the Biden administration's got a whole of government approach to climate. And so you look, for example, what the SEC's doing with their, with their climate disclosure. Does this affect that, and does that make that more challengeable? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think it definitely does. Do you know today, Texas is going to, uh, I just was reading the paper, DACA, the, the program that the, the um, Immigration Service has okay. that is, was implemented under um, Obama, but stayed in place because of judicial rulings to under Trump, which allows um, illegal uh, undocumented immigrants in the country to stay in the country because they don't have the resources to throw them all out, but it's like 11 million and they, they're not going to do anything about it. They've, they've basically given them a pass, even though the law doesn't give them a pass. Texas is saying that that is such a major um, question that Immigration Naturalization Service can't do it anymore using this case. And you're going to see it for the SEC. Okay, What's so that affects... That affects immigration, but this will also hopefully affect what the SEC is trying to do with the climate disclosures? I would think so, because, I mean, you have the economic impact that that would have if you're thinking about all these different well, that's companies. That's a major that question. I mean, yeah. this, is a, this is a real blow to, to uh, the markets. That's the biggest one I've actually heard um, most likely one to be affected by this case and this kind of the major question questions doctrine. we got so much to cover in such short a time. How does this affect 
my favorite, the Massachusetts versus EPA, where they decided CO2 was a, was a toxic substance, uh, even though it sort of keeps well, most they, of they plant found life out, alive. They didn't say it was toxic. They okay, said well, it was I, a that's pollute. My word well, no, there. because it's important, because in this case, they said if it's toxic, EPA can do a lot more. All right? right. This case does say, look, if we, here's what's happened here. They dec- the Supreme Court decided CO2 was a quote, unquote, pollutant, right? Alito hates that. Alito didn't like it then. He doesn't like it now. So he says it's not a pollutant. We're all, that, could they regulate us all, all of us right now, because we're exhaling CO2? Are we all point sources? You know, this is his problem. You say Alito, Alito didn't like You don't like it either. I, I, what do we think, think? I think that it sh- the Congress had to say so. And I think that the theory of the global warming is different from the pollutant idea that I think the, the Clean Air Act was passed with. You know, okay. it was particles. It was things that could right. harm you directly. This is sort of a bank shot, but the, I don't think the Supreme Court's going to go back and change it because it's been around now for quite a while and Congress hasn't said boo. So, and it's a statutory interpretation. I don't believe that the court's going to change that, that ruling on the CO2. It, there's all the judicial canons, I think, say, eh, well, maybe we were wrong, but they could fix it any time. I think Roberts explicitly says something along those lines. He said, if this issue had come up where Congress had said, you company, you coal-powered companies, you're going to decarbonize within this period. And actually said, you know, in the words of some t- of the text of the statute, um, said something along the, those lines. He, he leaves that open, but he says, if it had come along to us that way, instead of just having this very open-ended kind of end of the statute um, catch-all provision without the actual language in there from Congress, I mean, there are two different scenarios, and he kind of implied, you know, that that mm. could be a route, but it's the more proper route, at least under constitutional principles. How do you think Congress is going to respond to this ruling? I'll tell you November 15th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, a, that's a fair... That's a fair uh, does this increase, increase, increase the likelihood of court packing? Oh, hmm. you know, I... It... it makes a new constituency for court packing um, because the environmental movement... Court packing means basically adding four more to change the balance of power. And now there's a new idea where they'd have... um, They'd set up a statute that would have term limits of like 18 years and if if the current justices did not abide by the 18, because they don't have to because they got lifetime appointments, they'd appoint new judges. It's like a fallback provision. Um, it's, It's a theory. It's a law professor theory. Um, but it's like in stages. I just think that it's a bad time. I, I just think politically they're going to have a hard time because what I just said about November, I mean, if if they had the power to court pack, they'd have the power to change the EPA rules. Yeah. Right? Why not? And I, I will say this. Um, a carbon tax is an idea that has people got up in arms about it. They want to against it. Congress has never put in the carbon tax because of the tax problem, right? They don't want to be taxing everybody, especially with high gasoline prices. But if there was political will to pack the court, I think there'd be political will to do whatever they want with the EPA. I mean, why would you you pack the court when you could actually change the law the way you want? And all these judges, certainly Roberts and Kavanaugh say, we're not, if if Congress passes this, we're we're upholding it up, right? Right. We're not going to strike it down. It's really a, it's a really short-term vision, those who want to do this. And I think there are enough Democrats um, who see, that, like, if, if we do this and pack the court, why, what stops the other side from doing the same thing? And it's like this 
infinite problem that never actually gets resolved in the court. Well, I have a court very... the size of the House of Representatives yeah. or something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> how does it going. stop? <laughs> I'll see you four, I'll raise you ten. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's another thing. Well, the other things they say, oh, this is all because of there's this the Senate and there's disproportion in the Electoral College. Well, they stopped in expanding the House in 1912. That was the last time we expanded the House. They could expand the House and all the electoral votes would change and the big states would get more electoral votes, you know, percentage-wise. And they don't, it's a legislative fix. You don't have to amend the Constitution. And they're coming up with all these ways to amend the Constitution. I just, I don't understand it. But to answer your question, yes, it increases the constituency for doing something with the courts because a powerful group, I, I think you raised Blackstone, right? Yes. Um, Larry, the, Larry Fink is all in favor. Right. All but. the regulatory, uh, all the regulated parties put in a brief in support of the EPA in this case. And I think with Blackstone and some of the, they're going to want to change this because, I don't know, maybe they got an arbitrage. Somehow they think they can make money from it. Uh, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with uh, John Vecchioni and Casey Norman, and we're talking about all the implications of the recent uh, EPA ruling um, that uh, I guess reined in the EPA. Now, it seems to me this is an agency that needs some reining in. As I understand it, they were about to roll out something where they're going to regulate. They're going to regulate how how much we could heat or cool our houses, and set up set, set limits on that in order to uh, cut back on energy use. Is that something that uh, have you heard about that? I had not. The one I heard was gas generation. You know, all the cities and the EPA are stopping gas stoves and things. Yeah. And I think that's insane because I don't know if you've ever cooked on an electric stove. It's not. Not so great. Right, exactly. But um, I do think that um, I do think that there, because this is a six-three majority, because Roberts and Kavanaugh and uh, Barrett and the, the folks who aren't Clarence Thomas are on board with this, and even Kagan says in her in her in her dissent she had to talk about all the time she joined with the majority striking down administrative uh, laws as going too far. Don't forget, she was Obama appointee who struck down part of the Obamacare as going too much against the states, right? So some of these cases they mentioned, Kagan was in the majority. So I think that this has some legs. Um, certainly Breyer, we don't know how Jackson's going to come out, but Breyer also would sometimes rein in the administrative agencies a little bit when he thought they hadn't gone there, even though he's a big administrative state guy. So I do think that this is going to have legs. By one count, there are 432 agencies. You're the administrative law person. Um, how many of those agencies have administrative law judges, and how how pervasive is this problem? I, I don't know how many they have. I mean, I know some of them don't. So um, last time I was here, you asked me that. I did. So I, <laughs> so I, 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 uh, of a, so I looked it up. Look, I... I, I, I I used to teach accounting, and so I want to get this very precise as to what, what we're up against. So I had people look it up, and we found a chart, and I did not bring the chart with me, but it is something like, of those agencies, something like 40. I had thought it was somewhere in the number of 10 or 12, but it's something like 40. Okay. Um, it's a large number, but the ALJs, the big ones are Social Security, Medicare, uh, that, they have tons of them because... Um, they have to make tons of rulings about whether you get your benefits or not all the day. That, that, those are the big ones. Um, the EPA does not. 
because it doesn't it brings you to federal court when mm -hmm. it sues you. Um, so uh, and the SEC obviously does, and the FTC obviously does. I will bring my chart the next time you ask me here, and I will give you the full answer. But it, it, it is, it is, it, it it was an interesting question. But the real problem here, I, I think, for the EPA is that they have big projects. The environmental, you know, we used to call it the conservation movement. We we wanted, as you said, I remember going to New York City as a boy, and when I came home, I had to wash my hands and face, and the soot just came off. You know, this is in the early seventies. It was amazing. We had massive problems. Massive in problems. With air and water, yep. massive. And, and so the Cleveland River really did catch on exactly. fire. Exactly. So. And, and there are all these externalities, and this was created, and it's done some good. And I'm not saying, it's, certainly in the heavy metals area, it's still doing some good. Yeah. But um, this idea that everything's connected to everything else, so that the EPA gets to regulate everything. You know, Bill, Bill if there was an agency, if Congress just wanted to have the do-good agency, and they say, this agency. Don't give them any ideas. This agency, this agency will do everything good and nothing bad. And we give this agency all the powers to do good that we have here in Congress, okay? And then don't bother us, and here, right? Here's the ball. And, then, and so then they have the do good agency. And then the agency says, well, we've got authority over all the problems and we're doing good here. And then we use Chevron and, well, there's an ambiguity in the law and we say we're doing good. So who are you to say anything else? <laughs> that's not law. Right. right. <laughs> Let them run free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, they don't give them any ideas. <laughs> so what other aspects of this that, that we ought to be, that, the, the takeaways? I mean, you know, my cause is your cause, which is to bring back our constitutional rights, you know, due process, legal, a, a, an understandable legal framework that treats everybody the same. And we can get equal, you know, equal uh, equal justice. Uh, does this advance that? Are we? Or is this a big step, a little step in that call in that uh, cause? I think it's a. I mean, I think it's part of a big step. In some of the other cases that you noted, like Dobbs, um, Bruin, I think a large part of these rulings is just emphasizing how the Constitution works and how the Republic works. And just remembering what the why we have three branches of government that fulfill separate roles. You don't want one branch that can, on its own, you know, do everything and take on whatever power it wants. And just you know, considering also, better we are in a federalist, you know, republic, and there are states. You know, the state involvement is a factor that I think a lot of people forget. And, and just this big, I think the agencies thing. They're just so per pervasive now that people don't realize, you know, how much power they are actually yeah, accumulating. We, yeah, we don't want to talk about Dodd, it's too complicated, but just the idea that the Supreme Court didn't end abortion. It just said it's up for the states, basically, to decide. Right. And, and, and there's gonna, that's going to be a very interesting discussion, one we should have had a long time yeah, ago. It's not, it's not, we don't do that kind of law, but what I'm trying to get, get at, yes, the question, it's better, it is better. The real question is where are they going to go with this major questions doctrine, because Gorsuch doesn't agree. Gorsuch is very, very. First of all, he, he cites Phil Hamburger quite a bit, so we liked his opinion, right? <laughs> we put in a, we put in um, uh, both Phil Hamburger and Mark Chenoweth, they and and Rich Samp. They all put in an amicus brief for New Civil Liberties, and Gorsuch kind of took it about this. How much can you give to the agency? My do-good uh, theory, but he has an interesting thing on the major questions, and and the majority hasn't adopted it, but he uh, Kagan says. Well, one of the major, it can't really be a major question if the agency is doing stuff Congress kind of knew it was going to do because, 
I mean, it's the EPA and it's dealing with the environment. It's not like that CDC case where they were dealing with evictions and they don't know anything about evictions, right? It's not like uh, uh, OSHA. It's, it's, she was basically saying if Congress makes uh, administrative agency and says this is its area, if it does anything in that area, well, she, it's she okay. She also said the EPA experts know things that the Supreme Court doesn't know. Y yes. So the, the Supreme Court ought to stay out of it. That, that, there's no question, and she says I think she says yeah. that flat out. Yeah. Oh, she does. She's 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 she says uh, she says, um, and let's say the obvious. The stakes here are high. Yet the court today prevents congressionally authorized agency action to curb power plants' carbon dioxide emissions. The court appoints itself instead of Congress or the expert agency, the decision maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening. Respectfully, I dissent. Respectfully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys are all idiots. Exactly. I hope. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I'm sure none was taken. How's the new justice influence all this? Is it a is it a kind of a non non? Because where Breyer was, is this just sort of uh, more of the same, or is it going to be? We'll see. I mean, she made a lot of remarks, um, you know, before you know, before starting uh, that were kind of originalist leaning, and and we'll see if she's a textualist and you know, adhering Wouldn't to that those. Be a... That'd be interesting. Well, I will say, I will say this. So I I've, I've been before her in the district court. I've never been before her in the appellate court, um, and I did a little thumbnail for New Civil Liberties on her rulings. She hasn't said anything about Chevron that she thinks it's bad. She applies it as a district court judge. What I think is interesting. Um, is that she has not always rubber stamped what the agency's done. Um, and the other thing she's done that we like as litigators, but maybe as an originalist, is she keeps, the, the agencies always want to say only they're ALJs. They've, they have um, unique jurisdiction for certain things that don't go in the district court. And when she's been reversed, she's been reversed because she said, no, we, district courts have jurisdiction. You get Article Three judges, not these ALJs. Um, and she's been reversed. And, you know, Alito was reversed. Uh, years ago in, in Casey, he was reversed because one of the things was that a wife had to tell her husband before she got the abortion. He said that was not an undue burden, and he upheld that. And the Supreme Court reversed it, and he specifically wrote about it in Dobbs. I wonder if she's not going to do some jurisdictional stuff because she was a district court judge. She doesn't think they should be stripped of jurisdiction without really clear language from Congress. That might help. You never know how they're going to come out, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think Breyer was a little different than they thought. Um, certainly, um, Gorsuch on Indian rights is much different than some of his uh, compatriots on the other side. E each of them has their own experience. I don't, I don't like... I'm happy to talk about it, but I don't like prejudging till I see because once you're when you're a district court, you know I too am a man under well, authority. Also, you yeah. may have to argue in front of the Supreme that Court. That is so true. Not, we're not going to we're not going to pin you down on that what you really <laughs> think. Uh, well, we need to wrap up here. I've, it's great having you back on. And this this is uh, these are issues that keep on giving. There's going to be a lot to talk about going forward. Uh, Casey Norman, welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here with uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance. Uh, John Vecchioni, senior, your senior litigator. Yeah. Um, and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're good at it. Uh, anyway, this has been the Bill Walton Show, and we've been talking about EPA and other, other scope of government uh, issues here. And I, I think I've learned a lot. I hope you have as well. As always, you can find the show on YouTube, Rumble, 
Uh, we're now uh, publishing also on Substack and all the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. And you can catch us with video or, or audio. And uh, let us know what you think about the show. We like your ideas for shows going forward. So anyway, thanks for joining. Great. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.